Thanks. Thank you all for being here today and joining us for this conversation. I'm Kristen Wedding, the Deputy Director and Fellow of the Global Food Security Project here at CSAS. And we're delighted to have with us here Dr. Rohana Subasinghe, who um, is a senior aquaculture expert at the FAO. Um, he's really, it's really great timing. He's going to talk about the importance of aquaculture for food security, nutrition, and also for the economic livelihoods of millions of people around the world. Um, despite its importance, especially in the Asia-Pacific region and China and um, in uh, many developing countries, it still goes under the radar in a lot of food, food security discussions. So I think this is a really important time to take advantage of having such a great expert here to talk about some of the um, issues and implications of aquaculture. Um, you all have copies of his bios, I hope, but I'll give you a bit of background before we get started. Dr. Subasinghe has been leading the FAO's development of the International Te Technical Guidelines on Aquaculture Implementation, which is really important um, as industry and government work together to create sustainable aquaculture systems. Um, and he is, he is originally from Sri Lanka and has a MSc in aquaculture and a PhD in aquatic animal health. He has been with the FAO since 1994 and is currently the point person to the World Organization for Animal Health and also serves as the Technical Secretary of the sub Subcommittee on Aquaculture for the FAO. Um, he's going to give us a presentation and then we're going to take the chance to answer questions and engage in more of a dialogue. Uh, I wanted to remind everyone that we're recording this session so all the remarks will be on the record. Um, that being said, when you ask your questions, please use their microphone and give your name and affiliation. Good afternoon. Thank you very much, uh, CSIS, and uh, for inviting me to this um, this uh, one and a half hours of little gathering. And I read about you, and I'm very impressed. And uh, this is my third visit to DC. You are a wonderful town, and it's very, very nice. Um, I'm here for two weeks, talking to a few US-based agencies on uh, some of the work that we are planning to do and what we're doing and trying to discuss with uh, possible support from the US government and other agencies like World Bank, IFC, so on some of the work that we plan to do for the future on fish. Um, Gabby and uh, Nick asked me to talk to you for 25 minutes, or 25 to 30 minutes, and it gave me a title, Teach a Man to Fish, the Role of Agriculture in Food Security. Um, this is a big story. So for 20, half an hour is not enough. So I'm going to tell you half of the story or a little part of the story. So we will have another hour or so to discuss the rest of the story. So I probably will not complete. I will leave a lot of gaps for you to sort of, you know, initiate your thoughts. And then we can, and I'll throw a few spanners at work and sort of we can have a discussion after this half an hour. And Gabby, please give me a shout if when it's a five minutes or so, because don't. I always get carried away talking don't to worry. myself. Don't worry about so, it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> As I said, I'm, a, I'm a originally a Sri Lankan. I've been living in Rome for 20 years, and I've been working in fish for nearly 40 years. Um, I'm 60 years old now and almost ready to retirement. Um, the, the, um, the title, if you could remember this ch Chinese proverb, Give a man a fish and you feed him for the day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. 
My title given to me was teach a man to fish the role of aquaculture. And this is all about fishing. But I'm going to talk to you about fishing a little bit, and then I go into aquaculture. Why aquaculture? Before I talk about fish and aquaculture, I'll take you through a few minutes of some of the key uh, numbers and figures, which I'm sure most of you are very well aware. Hunger is an extremely um, important subject, and malnutrition is still the number one risk to health worldwide. And some of which coming from hunger is um, world's number one health risk, probably kills more people than AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis on an annual basis. And hunger, one in every seven people, or now goes to bed with no food. And of course, one out of four children in developing countries are undernourished. And there's more hungry people in the world than the combined population of US, Canada, and the European Union. So we have nearly 890 million people, um, less than one meal a day, and mostly in Africa, and also the numbers. Uh, what we try to do is to reduce the numbers, but doesn't seem to be getting there, because the mouths, number of mouths are increasing very rapidly, and uh, from now onwards, over the next 20 years or so. Um, this was two days ago. 7.16 billion people in this planet, if you remember. Uh, 2011, we said the planet has now 7 billion. Now it is 7.16. It'll be, it'll be 9.42 billion in 2050, so additional 2 billion people. The size of the planet remains the same. So we're going to divide that by another 2 billion so that the numbers will increase the size of each of us we'll have to share. We'll go down and down as we go alone. And with this in mind, 2 billion extra people, no more land, how will we feed the world in 2050? That was the question. FAO recently changed its uh, overall objective and the goal of the organization from reducing hunger to eradicating hunger. Uh, reducing hunger is not good enough, so we go into what we call a eradicating hunger completely, which is a daunting task, and that the organization is changing with its objectives and its goals very rap and, and for more efficiency and, 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 and possible uh, more um, support towards, the, uh, towards its goals. The question asked is, do we have enough land and water and the resources to feed people? But we believe um, we probably have to produce 60 to 70% more food than what we have now if we are to feed that 9.2 billion people or 9.4 billion people in 2050. Producing additional 60% of the food that we have now, it's not an easy task. So it's, it's the food, it's different varieties of food, different commodities, and I'm still talking about food, but I'll slowly go into fish as a food commodity later on. While we are talking about difficulties, numbers, requirements, the increase, a necessity for increasing production. Um, this story of hunger is not only in the developing world, the rest of the world. It is sort of a debatable question, I believe, but I've seen this, um, and even two days ago, there was a, a headlines in a national newspaper here. I couldn't remember where, um, talking about uh, one in five children in that particular state is, is at risk of hunger. So this is a global, a, a, a um, 
a universal uh, problem which we need to address uh, carefully and uh, um, perhaps a concerted effort is required as we go along. The, um, few years back, a government of the UK conducted a study called Foresight. The study was to see the future, not only food, but many aspects and many facets. And they also look into food for future. In that document, the URL is given below. It says the existing world's food production systems are unsustainable and that while improving the present system, policymakers face five major challenges in food production. And those challenges are the food supplies are affordable. You've got to make sure. Food supplies are adequately stable throughout the year. Enough food is produced so that everyone can potentially be fed. Food systems are managed for mitigation of climate change. I'm not going into details of any of these things. We will have some time to interact later on. And that biodiversity and ecosystem services are maintained while feeding the world. So feeding the world is a daunting task, as I said, and it, is, it, it takes a lot of resources. While doing that, and there are certain things that we need to consider and to respect. And certain actions are required in order to get in there. Those actions are more food be produced sustainably. I will just use the word sustainably. We will talk about it if we have time, what sustainability is. Demand for the most resource intense type of food is contained. The word they use, contained. Most resource intense type of food. Waste in all areas of food systems is minimized. We seem to be wasting a lot of food. In fact, the numbers say that around 50% of the food is wasted. And that the political and economic governance of the food systems is improved to increase food systems productivity and sustainability. So this, and when it comes to food and fisheries, that particular study said the fisheries and agriculture should help meeting the five challenges that we mentioned, and that all those aspects and areas responsible for the food production systems are applicable to fisheries and agriculture. That makes fish a part of an important commodity of that food system, food production for future. 2011, this is an FAO uh, BBC, say, we, we said that the global fish consumption hits record high. Today, uh, uh, around 2012, we believe on annual basis an individual in the world eats about 19 kilograms of fish per year. That number changes from little my country, from Sri Lanka, where we eat probably 50 to 60 kilos a year, whereas in landlocked country in southern Africa, probably be eating two to three kilos a year. But that's a huge difference. But fish consumption has increased, and it has been increasing for the past six years from 17.6 to almost 19.2, which is a very um, significant increase. This is an interesting graph for you. The blue line is the capture fisheries, the fish coming from the sea. The red bars are the aquaculture, the, the grow, growing fish in captivity. 
the fish coming from the fisheries in the, from the sea, this is marine, not fresh water. We talk about fresh water once again if you have time, a little bit later. Around early 90s, it starts to taper and, 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 and stagnate. And on the other hand, aquaculture around 90s started to increase a rapidly growing and a very high rate of percent per year and currently producing 70 million tons of fish. If you look at this a little bit more in detail, in 2011 we produced 62.7 million. 2013, end of this year, we believe a world production will reach around little over 70.70 million tons, and that the fisheries is is stagnant at a level of 90 million tons. So the the uh, the Population is increasing, number of mouths are increasing, amount of fish coming from the sea is increasing. Although you teach a man to fish, you will not be able to get any more fish from the sea because it's already stagnant, right? But that fish increase has to come from aquaculture, which has been happening and which will continue to happen. If not, that per capita consumption of 19.2 kilograms per year will go down, which is not very good for human because fish is a unique type of protein which is far superior to, to terrestrial animal proteins and it has its value for human nutrition and that it is probably the most traded com food commodity in the world. This is a little bit of a breakdown for you, where the fish come from in aquaculture, 60% come from China, obviously a big country with 1.3 billion people, and Asia accounts for 90%. The rest of the world, North America, Oceania, Africa, Europe, everybody together makes about less than 10%. So the fish, I'm not going to go into detail once again, I'll try to save time to discuss, but we produce, we culture nearly 300 different species in the world. Unlike terrestrial animals, the numbers are limited, and a lot is produced in Asia. But they are all sold all over the world, and this commodity moves from one continent to the other mass, more, much more than any other food commodity in the world. Why this? rapid growth. There were so many drivers for the growth of aquaculture sector. The, of course, the market demand. There is a market, therefore it moves and people produce when there is a demand. The infrastructure, the technical capacity, research, science, human resources, technicians, experts. This didn't happen over, overnight. Maybe over the past 40 years, let's say, or 30 years, more development over the past two decades have shown enormous increase in knowledge and the experience of dealing with this particular commodity and making animals, produce animals in water. Fish are animals, the difference, they are like you and me, but difference is they live in water, right? And it, they go through the same process. You have vaccines for fish, you know, you name it, the health matter, they get disease, everything. They behave the same. So you have environments where you have fresh, marine, brackish water environments, and for terrestrial animals, it's only land. Whereas 
you have social contribution. There are 40, nearly 50 million people live on aquaculture and fisheries in this world and contribute to employment. A lot of countries for, for income generation, food security. The institutional systems are very robust, coming slowly, slowly. There are gaps, of course, but things have been uh, happening and things have been improving very well over the past two decades. And there is more and more business investment is coming in for improving production in various um, regions. Aquaculture, regionally they are different. Requirements of regions are different. The way, they beha way it behaves in regions are different. But overall, aquaculture is increasing its, um, its production and, its, uh, and it is expanding. As we know, nearly 60% of the world middle class will be in Asia by 2030. The middle class in, in Europe and North America will reduce. And the food requirements, nearly 40% of the global middle class consumption will take place in Asia. Asia, of course, produces a lot of fish, and that we our experience is that when you have a little bit of disposable income in terms of food, you would go for an additional meal of fish. So it is not a luxury, but people consider fish as uh, something different from meat so that we have seen in many countries, let's take China as an example, you could go to a restaurant and you can buy a fish at cost of $200 a kilo and for your meal. There are, I'm not saying everybody does it, but there are species which are extremely expensive in, within there are certain cultural, you know, sort of uh, uh, um, affinities, I would say so. But nevertheless, in general, people do go for an extra meal of fish. So this shows where the potential is and where we will require more and more uh, fish in the coming decades. This graph shows you the aquaculture and fisheries production from 1950 to 2009, and that the left-hand corner, the top, is the world, and the others are the different regions of the world. You can see the, basically the global trend reflects what happens in Asia, and with respect to red line of your, um, the, the axes are different, of course, and then the uh, fisheries and aquaculture. We have been doing a little bit of work, research over the past uh, two years, trying to understand the future needs of fish. And that we help and we advise our member governments on where will you require fish and in which regions, and they, so that they can start planning for future needs. This, the, of course, we know the global, the GDP of countries are increasing. We have some information from IMF, which we cannot go into 2030, but at least up to 2020. And that we have information of uh, um, global population growth up to 2030. And when we start modeling, you're on the basis of how much fish has been eaten in the world in 2007, the latest consumption data we have, world consumed 140 million tons of fish in 2007. Considering the economic growth of the world and considering the increasing population growth, 
by 2030 we will be requiring 261 million tons of fish that is the expected demand for fish in 2030 with a much wealthier global population when we look at the supply of fish considering that there is no additional fish come from the sea that it will probably remain at the level of 90 million tons and that the aquaculture is growing with a certain rate if you continue that rate until 2030 we will be producing 210 million tons of fish by 2030 however as i said in my previous slide the global demand would be 2006 260 million tons of fish which will leave us a deficit of 50 million tons because we believe as i said there will be additional 2 3 meals of fish people will consume in the coming decades because they will have little bit of more disposable income in hand that 50 million tons deficit mainly reflects in asia with nearly 30 million tons whereas 40% of the global consumption of food will take place middle class and that 63% of the global middle class will be in that region aquaculture has been growing at a rate of nearly 10% 10 years ago it start to slow down and that current rate of growth of aquaculture it is growing the rate is about 4. Point, sorry 5.6 5.7% if you look at a little bit in detail you can see the blue is 80s to 90s red is 90s to 2000 and green is the this decade or rather last decade in every region aquaculture growth is declining if the aquaculture growth is declining the business continues as usual by this is fish this is aquatic products remember aquatic products are not only fish there are plants there are crustaceans there are mollusks all that and that if that continues we will have expected annual percent rate of growth by 2030 would be around 4% right now as i said 5 6.2% and if you if we continue the business as usual the 4% increase of annual percent rate will not give us that additional 50 million tons of fish in order to get to that 50 million tons of fish the rate of growth of aquaculture should go at least to 5.6% by 2030 and increase of 1.6% which is huge we will have to the you can imagine what level of annual rate of growth required in different regions where you see is africa requiring the highest growth because africa fish uh, production is extremely little so we that means that we have to do something to increase the rate of growth of aquaculture over the coming 
decades. There are many challenges for that. It's not easy, as I always say. It's easy to say, but it's difficult to do. There are many constraints. There are many challenges. Land and water, cost, energy, ecosystem impacts, feeds, biosecurity, health, disease control. And I'm going to probably concentrate a little bit on two things, policy and investment and finance. We need a concerted effort to increase the rate of growth of aquaculture by 1 to 2% over the next 10 years if we are to supply fish to bridge the supply demand gap over the next 20 years. That's the message. I'm going to take a few slides to talk about a controversy. Questions asked about aquaculture. Not everyone, but some quarters. Is aquaculture a sustainable and efficient food production sector? I'm not going to give you an answer. I'm going to throw this thing to you. You can ask me, I'll explain to you. Is aquaculture a threat to environment and biodiversity? These are the questions asked by certain quarters. And of course, they are very important questions to ask, and that there's answers are required. Does aquaculture contribute to global food and food security and alleviating poverty? The question is, yesterday I was talking to some people and they said, you produce salmon in aquaculture, and, and what about the, um, the people who um, cannot afford? We produce only 5% of the production is salmon. The rest, 95%, is completely different. So there's a certain amount of uh, ignorance also on the subject when people start to question. And when you, we must understand why you see perhaps in your own surrounding is, doesn't really reflect the global scenario and the global sort of uh, point of view. Is agriculture products are safe to eat compared to their wild relatives? That's always a question. Is it good? When I go to a supermarket in Rome, I can buy a sea bass, a locally produced or produced in Greece, for 7 to 8 euro a kilo, whereas I pay 20 euros a kilo for the same animal caught from the sea. Over 100% difference in price. At the same time, people also question, is it safe to eat? Food safety is something that we probably have to discuss if we have time as we go along this afternoon. The truth is, no food production sector is completely clean. Why targeting aquaculture? It's the same for any other food commodity, terrestrial food commodities, anything. Each sector has its own set of problems, and each sector has its own set of answers to questions and advantages and disadvantages. Agriculture sector advanced over the past two decades and improved its efficiency and sustainability tremendously. We have quantum leap of improvements in agriculture sector, which strengthens its sustainability, 
strengthens status and environmental friendliness and of course the be a robust and and good uh, food producing sector aquaculture is sustainable and can be made even more sustainable socially acceptable economically viable and with a high safety of food but we need to work for it if you do not have the right policies right governance mechanisms right research right understanding when you when the world see that there is a potential for producing because there is a demand for additional 50 million tons the human nature is that you will produce because you can produce because there's a demand what we need to do is to put that production system in a framework that the system will continue as a sustainable production system not just a food production system i'm going to show you two three slides of some stories this is the use of antibacterials in salmon farming in norway 1980 to 2008 unfortunately well i do have data up to 2010 but the the, the whole story shows this is how much antibacterials used in how much is used now when we were using this much for 50000 kilograms of antibacterials in 1980 we had the production of 3000 tons of salmon today the salmon production in Norway is 1.1 million tons and they use less than 50 kilograms of antibacterials isn't that a success story yes this is another controversy if you are to produce fish you have to feed them no land animals will live without food no aquatic animals will live without food either but the good thing about aquatic animals is that you don't have to some fish you don't have to feed them they'll feed what is around them and they'll feed the herbivores mainly the plankton feeders that they will feed what is in the water you don't have so we call them non fed fish in fed fish this is salmon inclusion of fish meal and fish oil in salmon diets <coughs> in 1955 this much of total used of tons of fish meal and fish oil and we had the diets containing nearly 50% of protein today by 2020 they believe they can go down to 5% and that the world fish meal and fish oil production which is at the moment stable because there's nothing more coming from the sea will be still be able to use for increasing production of fish 75% of the world fish oil and fish meal is used in aquaculture the other commodities are reducing and that in salmon farming now salmon aquaculture salmon feed contains less than 7% of fish meal 
the rest of the proteins are either vegetable or if not coming from other sources. So we will not getting into a fish meal trap over the next 10 years. Whatever is available, probably sufficient to increase the production of this carnivorous fed fish. This, I cannot remember when, it was probably sometime early this year. Uh, yes, January 2013, this particular group in Norway now claims that they can produce a salmon with absolutely no fish meal, absolutely no animal protein in 2015. My question, well, a piece of vegetable floating in the water? Not necessarily. Still, there is a lot of omega-3 you find in fish which are not necessarily fed with animal proteins. This is some, another picture that I would like to show you. This is called integrated multi-trophic aquaculture, IMTA. The question is, you have you, you, you make shrimp, monoculture, you put one species into the water system and you grow them and that either you feed them, they defecates, it pollutes the water, you use the word pollution, of course it increases nitrogen, phosphorus, all that in the water system. When we have IMTA, integrated multitrophic aquaculture, you can have seaweeds, you can have mussels and, and, and oysters and, 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 and mollusks, and also you can have fish. Fish, of course, you feed, and of course, it'll um, excrete nitrogen, phosphorus into the water system. The mussels and seaweed, they are extractors. They will start to extract from the water. So they will clean. Instead of having a single species system, if you have what we call a multi-trophic system, whereby you try to utilize every different trophic level of the water system. And it acts as a, a complete environment so that it keeps, continues to be cleaned. And the environmental impact of a monospecies culture can be totally mitigated through carefully planned multi-trophic agriculture systems. They're not necessarily everywhere it can be done, but of course, once you plan, they really pay you well. Remember we said 50 million tons of fish is required for 2030. That 50 million, as I said, it is not easy. That 50 million won't be salmon and, 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 and uh, tuna, because then the average person will not be able to consume. We have to produce fish that the well, so-called poor and vulnerable people also be able to have access so that their nutrition also can be improved as much as the others. In that sense, although the black line shows the, the production of non-fed fish, particularly freshwater fish like carps in China, are reducing, but perhaps we need a concerted effort to increase so that the general public, general uh, um, normal public would be able to enjoy an additional meal of fish that we are talking about even without a little bit of more um, um, money in the pocket. I'm going to talk one thing about disease and how important it is, and then I'm going to stop the discussion. This picture came in 19, 
sorry, 2009, in a lake in, in uh, <coughs> Indonesia due to a particular virus called koi herpes virus. It devastated freshwater um, carp culture in Indonesia. Of course, the virus is moved from, I think it is, is being found in, in the United States also, and that it is mainly go with the ornamental fish, but it, is, it affects a lot of food fish. This, currently we believe we lose about $6 billion a year due to diseases in aquaculture. $6 billion is a lot of money. The sector worth about $110 billion now. And nearly 6% is lost due to disease. What we need are better management practices and strengthened and, and governance in aquatic biosecurity, particularly more stringent rules and regulations so that the diseases are kept in place and the pathogens will not fly from one place to the other. There is a serious disease called early mortality syndrome in shrimp. It's happening right now in Asia. We just completed a project in Vietnam. The lost revenue in Vietnam in 2012 for, for early mortality syndrome in shrimp is little less than a billion dollars. And this disease, we had a request from six countries in Latin America. We do not want this bug. Please help us to keep it out. Three days ago, I got a note from Mexico that, sorry, we got the disease. But that didn't happen just like that. It, I'm sure it moved from somewhere. That's where we just don't have the governance, enough, enough uh, um, uh, stringent. Uh. This is another disease which is causing serious problems in the Sambesi Basin, where nearly 23 million people are living in the Sambesi water resources. The six countries are bordering Sambesi, and that this disease is now reported in five Sambesi Basin countries. There is a scare that this disease might jump to the Nile Basin. If it does, this disease is affecting nearly 110 species of freshwater fish. I have seen to my eyes that the villagers are moving from one village to the other. They just don't have any fish in the river to fish. This is a fungus. That fungus was in Asia. That fungus was found in Australia and Asia, and after 15 years, for some reason, it appeared in Africa five years ago. And at the moment, it's still subsided, but, but we expect a second round to happen in 2014. Now, there are several critical actions are required for <clears throat> meeting our goal of producing that additional 50 million tons. Of course, consider fish as nutritious food for healthier planet. And don't only talk about fish, but fish production. Think it as a more sort of integrated food system in, and that increased production on non-fed species are important for the masses, while we also produce fed fish for income generation. 
and more research is required for finding alternate animal proteins to supplement fish meal and fish oil. There's a lot of opportunity for universities and research institutions to contribute to the common goal. And more research into disease control is, 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 is extremely imperative that we need to find vaccines and various other therapeutic, prophylactic, you know, sort of a, a procedures for diseases. And also, we need to improve the governance mechanisms with respect to uh, biosecurity, genetic improvements, and new species, perhaps uh, also uh, a potential area of research required, and increasing efforts in moving agriculture further offshore. Remember, the land and water becoming more and more uh, constraints in agriculture expansion in many countries. So if you don't have enough land and water, where are you going to produce fish? Of course, then you need to start moving into the sea. Perhaps it will. It'll, there are repercussions. Of course, there are pros and cons of moving production offshore. But then you need to find, you need to look into and how best you can reduce the cost of production in the sea, what sort of species you can produce in the sea, do we have the governance structures in place, can you lease a piece of sea to somebody? I mean, there are many, many questions. And the US Congress also debating on some of these issues at the moment. I think, you know, sort of a many, as much as in many other countries. Um, the um, improving efficiency in small-scale aquaculture, because as any other food production system, and the consolidation and, and becoming more and more corporate farming is happening in fish culture. Nearly 80% of the fish that we eat come from small-scale farmers, the size between half a hectare to one hectare for ponds. If we are to consolidate and if we are to start more industrial agriculture producing for masses in large quantities, we have a responsibility, social responsibility, to make sure that we are not going to do that at the cost of somebody else. There is a vulnerable 40, 20, 30 to 40 million people who are engaged in this one while we are trying to increase production to bridge the gap of supply and demand. We should not forget the fact that we have a lot of small-scale smallholders in the business. Sustainable intensification is extremely important. This is the uh, future for Asia. Mitigation and adaptation of climate change, which is also a, a very high in agenda and increasing contribution to inland capture fisheries, which we have not discussed at all. There's a lot of fish in the rivers. There are a lot of fish in flood plains where it can contribute to this same uh, goal of more fish for future. There is a conducive policy environment is a prerequisite. And with this, this came out somewhere 23rd January. 2013, mail online, 50% of the world's food goes to waste as average American throws away 400 pounds of food each year. I think the food waste is a very serious crime. If you look at from the top, from dairy to fish to meat, fruits, oil seeds, roots, cereals, in fish, we nearly waste 35% of fish. If you want to get your 50 million tons additional, rather than trying to make it or catch, if you reduce your 35% of waste, then you will be getting, you will, you are, you will achieve 
your goal even without producing. Waste in every food sector is something that we need to really work hard to reduce. Oops. And still there are big fish in the sea. The big fish in the rivers. But still we need 50 million more tons. They're not going to come from them. We still have to make it. So that proverb by change. Give a man to fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to farm fish and you feed the world for the years to come. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was a really detailed, great presentation on some of the current trends and future outlook in aquaculture and really started to bring to light some of the concerns, I think, more broadly looking at um, food security and the role that aquaculture will play. Um, before we open it up, I'd like to just take the opportunity to ask a quick question, which you started to hit on at the end. Um, here at CSIS, we spend a lot of time thinking about um, food security programs like Feed the Future and programs by other international donors. And the common thread seems to be uh, the role of smallholders. And you, you referenced that there was something like 50 million smallholders engaged in aquaculture. And I'm just wondering what role you see in the future for them. Um, and do you think that there's going to be new innovations in technology to keep them involved in aquaculture? Or do you see them being um, sort of moved into more of the corporate, um, more conglomerates of, of aquaculture? I'd just like to hear a little bit more about that. Shall I? Um, do you need? Okay. Yes. Um, yes, thanks. Very pertinent question. And, and um, I think this reflects the general trend in food production systems. Um, the corporate sort of moving towards and consolidation. It's happening. It's happening very rapidly in, 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 in aquaculture simply because you cannot make profit. It's very difficult to make profit if you don't consolidate. And more and more integrated systems become more and more uh, profitable so people go into profit. The, um, but as I said, the social responsibility is, is, is much, much more important. Um, we've been working with small farmers for the past um, 10 years. Um, I have programs working in countries like Bangladesh, India, Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand, many countries. Um, what we've been trying to do is to see what an individual farmer cannot do, how can we make them a cluster so that they can act as a big producer, but hundred small ones make into one producer. What we call cluster management in aquaculture. That in our philosophy, our way of looking at it is, that cluster could be at 100 ponds or 50 ponds, a physical cluster, or a group of people. It could well be. It's much easier for you to manage when you have 100 ponds or you know, number of ponds in an area where everyone go through the same difficulty, same set of problems, so that we work together, we empower them, we get them to understand the problems that they go through, 
and we empower them to face the problems together so that they will address the questions and their problems not individually but as a group. So we have seen very, very clearly we have extremely good experience and results in putting farmers together to empower them. It's very difficult. It's, it's, it's like you know, you're, you're, you're trying to resist a trend. But I have a project in Bangladesh right now working with 800 farmers supported by the World Trade Organization. And those farmers we are working with, it's about 40 clusters. And we have a project which just completed in India where we have nearly 17,000 farmers now in clusters. When we first started, they could not even stop the ponds because the fish were dying. They completely didn't want to do anything. Now some of those clusters are selling directly to the buyers in the US. So answer to your question, yes, we can do it. But there are different ways of doing it while producing the, the, the type of technology for smallholders to be more, more efficient. But you can bring them together to become more to empower them so that they can, we, we must try to invest at the bottom of the pyramid rather than the top of the pyramid. Thank you. Thanks. Why don't we um, go around and maybe take three questions at a time, and uh, can I remind you to state your name, too? Um, Johanna, you want to? <laughs> um, well, thanks for being here and for your comments. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what drove some of the research and trends that drove the changes that you talked about in terms of reduction in antibiotics use, reduction in um, fish meal use, uh, sort of in improvements in efficiency and sustainability. Can you just talk a little bit more about what, what those trends were and what you see going forward to improve those trends? I think there's a, oh, here you go. Um, again, my name is Molly Harrigan. Uh, thank you for the presentation. You had mentioned the public sector needing to make more conducive policies for an enabling environment. What role do you perhaps see the private sector playing in helping uh, sustainable fisheries? In the back. I'm Anjan Schre for the FAO. Uh, my question is related to the answer you just gave, Dr. Um, uh, what is the role of fisher organization in, in improving the sustainability uh, of the fisheries sector? Uh, and what are the constraints? Because fishers are at the same time users of the resource and also managers. So if you could develop this point. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to take those? Yes. Okay. The, um, thank you. Um, your, the first question is all about the, um, the research and the trends in um, as I said, over the past 20 years, or maybe even 30 years, so much research went into various different aspects of aquaculture production, aquatic production, from genetics to health management to environment management to growth promotion to you name it. And the simple reason why Norway managed to reduce its use of antibacterials is that Every single salmon par which goes in a cage now is, is vaccine for three diseases at least. So we do not need to use antibacterials because we found the way to deal with those diseases through vaccines. The vaccine research in aquaculture has taken so much research and that we have extremely efficient 
vaccines for combating a major diseases. But the problem is that the new diseases are coming almost every day. We are very good at challenging the environment. When you challenge the environment more and more, the animals are under stress, the things, have, things are changing, mutations take place in the, in the environment, in the ecosystem. So you time, time to time you get new diseases, new viruses, new bacteria sort of coming as pathogens. When it comes to fish meal, once again, why research? Because money. Simple. You can make the sector more efficient, more economically viable by putting more research into reducing the cost of production. Nearly 40 to 50% of the cost of production of fish is feeds. We are talking about reducing what we call the food conversion ratio, FCR. If we buy a kilo of feed for $2, if we can produce a kilo of fish with feeding one kilo of food, maybe with additional cost of your system, you can produce a kilo of fish for $3. If you can sell it for $4 or $5, you are still make a profit. So it is simple economics, food conversion ratio, the lowest food conversion ratio in any animal production system is in fish. If you want to produce for, for, for beef, it is, if I'm not wrong, about 35 kilo, uh, kilos of food to one kilo of beef. Whereas we can calculate for fish 1.2 kilos of feed for one kilo of fish. Even there are fish feed, you don't need any food. So fish meal, fish oil reduction in, the, in, 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 in formulated diets, are all because of economics, and this lot of research went into that. The second question about um, the conducive policy in the private sector, yes, the, the, the value chain is very long and very complicated in fish, much more complicated than any other terrestrial animal production systems. Uh, the total value of the seafood industry is about $110 billion, and it involves uh, quite a number of big players, and the big buyers and, you know, sort of if you take United States, there are restaurant owners, there are buyers, processors, you name it. And the, the private sector's involvement is extremely imperative for the sustainability of the sector. We are now talking to private sector much more strongly than we used to do before. And if you has a new partnership program, now new partnership policies coming up, and with a new policy for engaging private sector in uh, our equations and our advice to the member governments on how to make the sector sustainable. The conducive policy environments are important because aquaculture is non, not a traditional production system. Livestock is always a traditional production system. If you look at the money allocation by the budget allocation by in countries, even the return is more, much more in fisheries, the government allocation for resources for fisheries is less than to the, to the terrestrial animal production systems. It's, that's a tradition. So we need to change such policies. We need to educate the policymakers and show how 
how important changing some of these policies can create conducive environments, conducive uh, 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 investment environments so that more investment can come in. The third question, may I have that question again, please? So my question was related to um, fisher organization, and I'd like to understand how, what are the constraints, because farmers, uh, fishers are at the same time users of a resource and also managers, so how can uh, organization, fisher organization, uh, deal with this balance? If you are referring to fishers, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not, I don't know I have the competency to talk about fishers because I'm a fish farmer. Fishers are different. Fishers are, you talking about fishers means your people go on fishing. There are fisher organizations, what we call regional fisheries management agencies, RFMOs. There are, you know, sort of a, a regional fishery bodies. There are groups where you have, you, um, they, they deal with uh, various different commodities like tunas and, you know, sort of various kinds. And of course, the, the, there's management um, management uh, uh, arrangements, you know, sort of co-management, various fisheries management, this thing. But if you're talking about farmer organizations, it's quite different. Farmer organizations are in fish farming; they are almost the same as any other terrestrial production systems for organizations of farmers, rice farmers, wheat farmers, you name it. It's also the same as fish farmers. You're basically doing the same thing in water, simple. Right? You, you, you have a pond or you have, some, you have a base where you have a seed, then you feed, and then you produce, and then you sell. Exactly the same thing as you do it on land, but you do it in water. But the same principles apply to people who does it. And, and the farmers, as I said, our experience with respect to putting farmers together into societies, 10 years ago, 20, 15 years ago, there were no farmer societies for fish. There were no fish farmer societies. But things have changing now. You go to Vietnam, you go to Thailand, you go to Indonesia, India. There are farmer societies and national societies, regional societies, you know, village societies, there are different levels and which they are engaged in their own resource management, of course, because in my opinion, collective management is much more efficient than trying to manage it individually. Thank you. We take a few more. I'm in the back. Um, yes, hello. I was, my name is Jason Ensminger, and um, I've heard a little bit that FAO has been trying to develop set of guidelines or even a certification strategy for national domestic policies related to aquaculture, sort of a best practices manual for aquaculture policies um, within countries. Do you know anything about that and where we're at in that process? Yes. So I'm just curious what's the 
take one more. Um, also, Rachel Friedman. Um, I'm actually curious, because you didn't um, mention as much the land-based systems. And I was curious um, a little bit to learn more whether where you see um, sort of some of the more traditional integrated sort of crop and, and aquaculture systems play, what role they might be playing in food security um, in the future, and whether that's going to be sort of on the fringe or play maybe a larger role. Great, thanks. OK. <clears throat> I will try. Um, the certification, um, there are two different subjects, certification and best practices. Best practices, even, believe me, I don't believe in best practices. I, I, I like the word better practices, because best today, probably not best tomorrow. So you know, better is, is a better way of saying it. The, the, um, we've been looking at better practices for some time, particularly aiming at uh, more, how do I say, uh, a value, high value species like shrimp mainly. Um, other species like freshwater carps and tilapias and things are sort of, you know, farmers somehow manage and, you know, sort of, uh, but the internationally traded commodities like shrimp and salmon and things are a bit, and also a bit more controversial uh, commodities requires a more, more focus because there's a lot of people involved in that. Um, we had a, a couple of years ago, we had a World Bank, uh, FAO, and also one of the regional agencies in Af Africa called, Na sorry, Asia called NACA, a program for developing best practices for shrimp, which we even won the uh, World Bank's Green Award a couple of, 10 years back, I think. And from there, um, we have uh, published many documents. And I think this word better management, there is no global solution to this. You know, they are absolutely local. The what the solution you for you to do it in Thailand is not same the thing for Vietnam. There are different places. There are very localized solutions to same problems. We also started looking at certification, the certification of agriculture systems and products. And if you in 2011 um, uh, got the approval from the membership for international guidelines for certification of aquaculture systems and products, and that now, this year, we are putting uh, a, what we call uh, a framework for assessing conformity of aquaculture certification systems with the FAO guidelines into our membership for approval this October. And once it is done, you will have a framework to look at the, uh, the conformity of uh, third-party certification systems against FAO's agriculture certification guidelines. And uh, and the best practices or better practices, uh, they are very always evolving, and we are keeping them. There are some, uh, right now we are working on, um, uh, how do I say, the, the, um, the recording all of them into a compendium, and hopefully finish by 2014. Um, the second question about Africa. Af Africa um, is still very young and very small in agro global agriculture production and it's uh, the contribution. If you take Egypt as an African country, if you remove Africa, Egypt from the rest of Africa, the contribution is less than 1%. But 
when you produce 10 tons, if you can make it 20 tons next year, you have 100% growth. Africa is growing more than 100% at the moment, very high. We believe the potential for Africa, not all over Africa can do aquaculture. There are very positive, extremely potential areas in Africa for aquaculture. We, we can see countries like Nigeria, Ghana, Uganda, Kenya, um, you know, coming up at the moment, Mozambique recently had a very bad experience with uh, a disease which completely devastated one uh, shrimp se production sector completely. We have Madagascar, the largest producer of shrimp in, in, in African continent, and we have few other countries who are also very interested. Next year, February, the African ministerial meeting on fisheries ministers going to meet in February. They're going to put more emphasis and effort into developing aquatic production as a mean for in improving economic efficiency of, of the African region. So yes, there is emphasis. Yes, there is potential. I think, I think from what we hear from F FAO's Committee on Fisheries, participation of African countries, as well as Subcommittee on Aquaculture's participation, they're extremely keen. Kenyan government, a few years ago, opened a new department for aquaculture. The Kenyan government is now working with 1,000 villages for aquaculture villages a program. They have understood the importance and the potential. They're working. But once again, we need a concerted effort again to improve it further. The... Um, Next question was about land-based, yes, land-based systems and integrated aquaculture. Yes, integrated aquaculture will remain its place forever. Integrated aquaculture, we're talking about integrated agriculture aquaculture, integrated livestock aquaculture. We have rice fish farming. We have um, um, poultry and fish and various um, terrestrial animal and farming systems in Asian countries, China, Vietnam, in, in one of the concerns of such um, livestock fish systems is potential contamination of the final product. Because you are using an exuvia from a one production system to feed another production system, a commodity. And believe me, you always have a solution to a problem. You can go to Calcutta, you can find the biggest sewage system in the world in Calcutta. In the one end, you have fish that are produced in the system, which are goes to the next market in Calcutta. And it is completely clean. And you can produce fish in night soil. You can have clean fish in night, but the acceptance in by the consumer is changing. We are becoming more and more aware of the food safety issues, of how clean that should be, and the consumers are changing their perception of food. Therefore, business as usual for integrated farming, particularly livestock fish farming, is not going to be the same. They have to look at it more carefully and find a little bit more better practices still 
making use of some of the waste coming from other systems, not to waste, but to use it for production. But rice fish farming is increasing. Rice fish farming is now, in particular in China, and Vietnam is extremely doing well. And it has its place, and it will continue to have its place, depending on what type of rice that you use, if it is a high stem rice with a six to seven inches of water in the paddy land, <coughs> where you can definitely have um, uh, additional crop of fish with that rice paddy. Thank you. Do we have any other questions? So my question, a lot of countries right now are experiencing a severe decline in the agriculture sectors and youth involvement. I was wondering, do you see that being a problem in aquaculture? And if so, what can be done uh, to further involve the next generation in the sector? I think, okay, right here. I'm just curious about the uh, some of the reasons for trying to reduce the amount of fish meal in, uh, in, in foods used in aquaculture. Is the primary driver because that would, finding alternatives would make the, the fish meal cheaper or because there's concerns about the population levels of like Peruvian anchoveta? Hi, Erica. Um, Erica Oakley. Can you talk more about women's role in aquaculture? And that's quite general or but um, broad, but and maybe future trends for women. Okay, I'm going to take another one. Hi, uh, Jennifer Armit. I'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit to the role uh, that that uh, climate change is is taking as um, as far as you know a rise in sea levels and, and temperatures coming up in the future. Okay. <laughs> Good. Um, aquaculture and youth. Very interesting question. Um, before I answer this question, I always like telling stories, but we don't have much time. But I'll tell you a story, what happened to me two weeks ago. I was in Brussels making a presentation to the EU on, once again, fish and future. I met a gentleman from Sri Lanka, my own country. Sri Lanka produced 95% of the world cinnamon. Now, we are a tiny country, but we produce probably not much, maybe 50,000 tons of cinnamon. 50,000 or 5,000 tons of cinnamon, I think. <clears throat> Most of it is used in Mexico. So this gentleman was in Brussels talking to the EU, and I asked him why. He said, we don't know what to do with this, and nobody wants to involve in cinnamon production anymore. But we, we produce 95% of the world, and it is expensive. Uh, one kilo of cinnamon oil is, I don't know, maybe couple of hundred dollars, right? And uh, he said, why not? Well, the kids don't want to do it. Simple. Well, no, because the, the recognition in the new society, who you are, in, in the slang, in, in, in local uh, colloquial language, that the chap who, you know, sort of do these cinnamon steaks is considered, you know, who is he, right? But it makes money. But it's not the money, the recognition, who you are. And unfortunately, the same thing is happening in fisheries and also to aquaculture because aquaculture is also taking, is going from 
parents to children, it doesn't happen. I think in aquaculture is different. I don't think it will affect the same way to aquaculture because aquaculture is a business and it is a respectable business, right? And you, no one produces fish to eat anymore except in very few places in Asia, sorry, Africa, where you have a very sub subsistence backyard pond. 99% of the fish produced in the world is, goes as SMEs, a small, medium enterprise or business. So because you cannot afford to do it otherwise. So in that case, then you can always have a you know, little, and youth involvement, we have programs where we got youth involved in, in, in countries, you know, some of the countries like even we, we have a project in Palestine, so sort of recently getting youth involved in agriculture production in tilapias. So my, my example is that there are many commodities where continuation by the younger people, young generation, doesn't seem to be working. That may be one of the reasons why things are becoming more and more corporate production and, 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 and uh, the vertically integrated systems because it cannot run its own because there is no acceptance by the new generation. Um, the other question is about the fish meal, um, particularly the fish meal reduction in fish meal in uh, aquatic feed was for two reasons mainly. Number one, there is no increase in fish meal and fish oil production globally. But aquaculture is growing at the rate of 6% and expanding. And if you are to feed, you have to manage with what you have. Only way to manage with what you have is to reduce how much you're gonna go in, in, in what percentage. So basically other commodities like swine, poultry, they are not using fish meal, almost nil. 75 to 80% of the global fish meal is now used in aquaculture. 90% almost of the available fish oil is used in aquaculture. A fairly large percentage of fish oil is now directly consumed by human beings. You know, it is 50 years ago, when I was young, I remember my mom giving me a seven seas, a little pill that, you know, what we call cod liver oil. But now the fish oil is back again in the market because it gives you the PUFAs and the omega-3s, which is extremely important. They are the, what is the best part of the fish meal in, in fish. So the second is the price is very high. So the you cannot afford to have, if you can reduce the, the level of inclusion in the pelleted diet, and if you can reduce or increase the conversion ratio, then every point you make an additional cent, more money in more profit. So the whole business is towards making it economically more and more efficient. So the one part of that equation is to reduce inclusion of fish meal and fish oil in the diet. Women in aquaculture, yes. Um, women in fisheries, that's a question that we talk about. In fact, I happen to be one of the authors of the World Bank's source book on women in aquaculture, right, in a sort of a, a chapter that I uh, sort of authored with another colleague of mine. Um, women are involved in primary production in aquaculture in some parts of the world. 
there are traditional um, uh, there are traditions in women in production in continents. Africa, how Africa works. Africa, probably more women work than men. Men are probably you know sitting back nicely and you know smoking a pipe and enjoying life while. Uh, the woman with the child at the back and going and you know sort of putting water in the system and of course they are involved in in aquaculture but when it comes to proper business level organized production systems yes you you anyone can play the role the women or men as long as they are trained to do it so the type of involvement and type of engagement in aquatic production systems where women can play a role very much, and it is happening, and it is. And more than in the primary production sector, the processing sector, I would say 80% of the processing sector is women. And aquaculture people produce, and that product goes into a, into a, 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 the, the, the processing facility, and mainly the processing facilities are run by women, trained women. And... Um, the, the involvement of gender is a very much important issue in aquaculture and fisheries. In the fisheries, women don't go fishing. But in river fishing, yes, we do. In Mekong Delta, you would see many women going in fishing. But in the sea fishing, no, not necessarily because it's a bit more. Sea fishing is probably the most dangerous employment in the world, right? And But mending nets supporting, you know, in artisanal fishers, you know, when they come home doing everything, supporting the artisanal fisher for fishing is a major role of the housewife and the women in the community. You had a question on climate change. Oh. I was, I was doing three by three by three, you see. Sorry. Um... Uh, I'm least um, knowledgeable on climate change um, because it's not an issue that I'm directly dealing with. But we have seen very clear evidence of climate change implications in fisheries. We have seen very clear evidence of stocks migrating north where the sea level is rising and the sea temperature is increasing in the in the um, the um, the north north sea and also many other places sea level uh, global warming you know sort of an increase of in, in in temperature in in marine waters or fresh water will definitely have a implication to aquatic production because the cute factor of Increasing productivity at every cent centigrade or every every degree doesn't work forever. It is not uh, sort of uh, in the the, the uh, it does it has its its limits. So, um, which species can be grown where in the future will depend on how that species will um, react to climate change. Climate change, we cannot mitigate but we can adapt so our decisions on using species our decisions on which type of systems to be used will depend in the future not immediately maybe you're talking about 10 years ahead on the basis of how the climate change will 
affect the aquatic water systems, aquatic systems in the world. And we have experience in, I think we can find solutions and uh, we cannot stop, of course, you know, global um, emission, green gas, greenhouse emission, all these things are, you know, big, uh, uh, big uh, titles that we debate. But when it comes to small farmers, we have seen climate change in the sense that the biggest problems we see are things like hurricanes and, and, and floods and droughts, not necessarily seawater rising and, and, and global warming. For some reason, climate is changing. And if you have a, you know, six feet of water on, on, on floods, all the fish will completely gone, and then the so many hundred thousand of people will lose their 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 livelihoods. So the implications are serious. And if you consider those things as what we call um, emergency requirements, the resilience is extremely important. So you got to start working on how how what resilience of these uh, vulnerable communities will have, and when our development agenda will certainly has to address the resilience as a very important aspect in, in, in development. <laughs> well, I think we've um, reached the end of our time and thoroughly exhausted you, uh, keeping you <laughs> talking nonstop. Um, but thank you all for attending and for your great questions. And I hope you all join me in thanking Dr. Subasinghe. Thank you. Thank you.